One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now, a quick reminder, like every week before we begin, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anybody else, except for those people who are actually in the ground, usual disclaimer, simply by downloading The Times app to your smartphone. Now, in the studio this week to discuss the title run-in and other events, uh, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Allison Rudd. Down the line, it's Matt Hughes from his home in Richmond. And further afield from a mystery location, I'm told, not Rippenden this week, it's Ollie Kay. Back from Coutinho. Saka. Oh, Gerard stumbled. It could be a catastrophic error. Down the bar for Chelsea. Who scores? And in time, added on at the end of the first half, time predominantly for Chelsea's time-wasting. Barr scores the goal that could throw the title race wide open. Let's get things rolling at Anfield, Liverpool and Chelsea. Uh, Ollie, this seemed pretty simple to me. If, if, if I'm Liverpool, I win this game and I pretty much have the title in hand. Instead, it didn't quite go to plan and so much of the attention has focused as ever on, on Jose Mourinho and his approach to the match. So start, could, could Brendan have done something different? Fairly early in the game, really, that, that things weren't shaping up as, as, as Rodgers and Liverpool would have wanted them to. I mean, people might say it was only one slip that, that, that changed it, but I, I, I thought Liverpool never really found their normal rhythm, never really found their, their normal style and, and speed, and I think Chelsea stifled them very well. So, uh, well, I, I, I would guess Rodgers would have looked to his bench and thought, well, Sturridge can only give me 30, 35 minutes because he's not fully fit. And then beyond that, what has he got? It's it, a weak squad. He's got Aspas, Alberto, players who I don't think will be there next season. He's not got the strength in depth that other teams have. And I think it probably exposes um, the weakness he's got in, in a squad. And I think they also miss Jordan Henderson, which would have... Um, yeah, he he is somebody that would certainly have given them something different. I just want to talk about the the incidents. I'm um, being a total minority here. I thought that Ashley Cole on Luis Suarez um, relatively early on. I thought Ashley Cole was actually pretty lucky there, and uh, and equally flip side the um, the, the Flanagan handball. Um, when your arm's that far away from your body, you know you're, you're taking a chance. Yeah, I actually agree with you on both those counts. I think Ashley Cole should have should have been booked could have been sent off it looks more clumsy than malicious um, but he certainly should have been punished and you have seen referees show red cards for that so he was a bit fortunate and again Flanagan you put your hand up 
in the area or out in the area and the ball strikes your hand, you, you, you can have a problem. So, um, yeah, both, both, I think the ref had a great game full stop, to be honest. I think he should have been far quicker to sort of clamp down on Chelsea's time wasting and show a yellow card to that. I mean, putting a booking in the 92nd minute was utterly, utterly futile and, and pointless. You can say it's, it's part of the game and it's a tactic, but it's not a ta- it's not a ta- tactic we should um, encourage or or indulge in, in the way that it was yesterday. Really, if, if you saw because it's such a big, high stakes game and there's tension, it's seen as legitimate. But if every football match involved the time wasting what we saw yesterday, who, who would want to watch it? As in, uh, is does Susie have a point there? Should, should the referee um, have done a better job at? keeping things moving with the time wasting I, th- I thought he had a reasonable game actually right f- right from the off he kept pointing um, at his watch <laughs> really dramatically and letting the players know don't worry I am going to be adding on time and I think that's the correct approach rather than booking someone straight away you have to let all the players know that it, it, this is obviously part of your tactic but if you persist it's not going to get you anywhere because there will be lots of added time. But isn't that As kind of indeed there though? was. But isn't it because, I mean... Foolish. I just, yeah, this, this idea... I mean, sorry, I don't want to reopen the old real-time can of worms here, but no referee, unless somebody splits his head open on the pitch, is ever going to give more than five minutes of injury time. So it's like you can, you can point your watch all you like, but you are not adding... You're not, you're not going to add the same number of time that is the that, that of minutes or seconds that's that's lost during the game. It's simply not going to happen. It's completely unscientific. It's just a guy saying, hmm, well, should I make it three minutes or four minutes while he's right chasing after 22 men on the pitch and making sure they all behave. So it, <laughs> I kind of think that that's pointing to your watch and saying, oh, I'm going to add minutes at the end is – it's just not effective. Yeah, but it's get what we have and, and, and also, the other thing is, it's, it sounds daft, but time wasting is, is more about it's about more than wasting the actual time, isn't it? It's about so sort of breaking rhythm, dis- right. disrupting right. the flow, and you know, breaking up the game, which clearly destroyed Liverpool yesterday. And while it is a legitimate tactic, I don't think it's one that you know we, we, we want to see really. And yeah, but it, but you, it's all about perception because it only it only really becomes clear who's time wasting when you know who's got the match won. And in fact, you could argue if the game had stayed nil-nil, that would have benefited Liverpool. So, you know, they could have they could have easily decided to time waste and go for the draw. It, it's very early in the match. It's quite hard for the referee to decide, I know exactly what's going on here and who should be penalised. I, I, I don't think it's it's often been <laughs> more blatant and more obvious than that. I mean, you had Schwartz taking an age over a goal kick in the, in the first minute and, you know, I know he's 41, but you'd expected him to get the ball into play quicker than that. But, but I, do you not accept I, that that's difficult for a referee to penalise compared I, I, to I, in the I, final minute when a team is winning and he's obviously I, time-wasting for I that don't to think, protect the I lead? Don't think, I don't think it was difficult. I, I, I think um, it, was obvi- it was obvious and it was brought to his attention then and he seemed to indicate that he was onto it. And yet he didn't... He didn't I think he booked... Uh, Ashley Cole in about the ninety-third minute, which um, which which was the only booking for time wasting, and it's um, I mean, the, the the things that are available to a referee, which are the yellow card for time wasting, and um, you know, and adding the time on. Well, as a, as a sort of joint measure, they they work, but but when you don't show the yellow card, I think that 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 plays into the time waste, into the hands of time wasting, because as Matt says, it's all about breaking the rhythm and, and that was a very effective way of making sure that Liverpool weren't 
two 0 up after twenty minutes, which they generally, which they generally have been in their home games of late. Also, I want to ask you about the way Chelsea approached this game, and I have my own views on it, but I don't want to influence everybody. So, a lot of people criticized uh, Mourinho for parking the bus. Brendan Rodgers talked; he didn't quite criticize him, but he did say that he parked two buses. Do you have a problem with it? Do I have a problem with Mourinho's tactics? With the way Mourinho approached this game in terms of tactics and personnel? Absolutely zero problem. I mean, you know, Mourinho has had a dodgy season in terms of some of the things he's come out with, but I agree with him completely when he said that was a masterclass in defending. And a masterclass. He said it was a masterclass. About about himself and his own team. Yeah. I agree. With, I agree. It was, and I think generally, generally, <laughs> who, says, who says that? I'm generally, like, oh, this is a masterclass for a podcast. <laughs> yes, the presenter is fantastic. I think there is, there is. It's we so often overlook what a team do defensively and tactically, and go, ooh ah, look at the goals. Ooh ah, look at the pace. Mourinho, he's got a crucial semi-final coming up. He had suddenly he has a batch of injuries. He goes. It only gets the two nil victory. I don't see how you can possibly say there was something wrong or immoral about what he did. I think it's wrong, but I think we can probably draw a distinction between the two between two things between tactics and defensive discipline. Chelsea's defending and teamwork organisation was brilliant, and the players carried out the game plan very effectively. But I don't think. I think to an extent, Rodgers is right. I don't think it's tactical genius to have ten men in a you know, nine men in the line and one centre forward, which is kind of what they did for parts of the game. That's not that's not rewriting football. It's not a brilliant innovation. That's just defense, very ultra defensive play. You play attack and defence in training every every day. You know, school do that, as Rodgers said. What is brilliant is the players being able to do it effectively. Um, so I think actually Chelsea's players deserve more credit than, than the manager who basically stuck out a pretty well, a very basic game plan and they executed it brilliantly. All right, we need to um, want to touch upon the run-in here because um, I'm told that's what people are all very excited about. Now, if Liverpool and Manchester City win all their games, they finish level on points and most likely unless Liverpool put like 50 past Newcastle, which is entirely possible <laughs> on the last day of the season. City have a substantial advantage. And it, it strikes me City obviously have the, the they have a game in hand. Uh, when I look at, at, at the run-ins of these two teams, I, I see two sort of obvious banana skins, one for each team, one being Everton away for City and the other one being Palace away for Liverpool, with Palace just because... Palace, Liverpool do not match up well with, with Palace, who have a, a very different style of play. Which of those is the bigger banana skin? Which is, is the biggest potential pitfall, Husey? Uh, well, on paper, it's obviously Everton, because they are a better team. They're fifth and would hope to be fourth. Probably won't quite make it. I, I, think, I think there might be another twist. I think it's a little bit too easy to see City as champions today. They've still got three games to play, and they, they have been inconsistent. Recently, it will help them if Silva comes back at the weekend, which I think I think he might. Um, I think Liverpool will respond. I think Liverpool will win both their games. I think they'll beat Crystal Palace. <laughs> it's again with hindsight, it's easy, but you could almost you could, you could see yesterday coming, really. So I I I, I think it's down to whether City can win at Everton. I think that's that that's the crucial game. Really. I think if if, ever, if if City beat Everton, I think they'll win the league. Chelsea. 
I mean, all, all it would take is is for Liverpool and City to lose a match each, and then for for Chelsea to win their two games, which do look very winnable, and um, and it's well, Chelsea. I, mean, I, I, I think the probabilities I, there are, it, are kind of slim. All I know, but it, it it is slim because of the, because of the goal difference thing, and and maybe that relates to to what we talked about earlier about Chelsea's lack of. Um, you know, attacking intent, it's, it effectively loses them a point where, where goal difference is, is concerned. But it's not impossible that Chelsea would win it. I think I think most people would say it's it's going to be very tight between City and Liverpool, and, and City would probably be slight favourites to to shade it on goal difference or or otherwise. But um, I, I don't discount Chelsea. I, I think those two games that that Liverpool and City have got Palace away for for Liverpool and. And City and and Everton away in particular for for Man City. I, I think I think those are two really really tough games. And and I, I would question the 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 mental strength of both of those teams. I, 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 what Liverpool have done over the past few months is amazing. But now that that bubble has been burst, it's going it, to it's going to be difficult to bounce back from that. And and City have shown even before now that you can't just assume that everything's going to be great with them. You can't. I mean. They've been in a position to. They've had things in their own hands before, and they've dropped points when they've been in that leading position. And they probably shouldn't do it again. But they've got a very, very, very tough game at Everton on Saturday. Matter knocking it wide here to Ashley Young. United flowing forward again. Evra, Valencia, Matter on the line, and it's four. And once again, Manchester United have scored four goals against Norwich. What a day for Ryan Giggs. Manchester United have a new manager, albeit an interim one, and albeit a guy who's been at the club for a very long time. Ollie, did you see anything different in United on the pitch and in their new manager? Yes, it was it was a it was a fluent performance. It was a it was a attacking performance, and, and it was a performance full of confidence. I think those three things probably um, shape each other. Really, I mean. It, 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 I think the the confidence and joy and lack of a sense of burden in in their performance is probably what made the biggest difference. I mean, I think Moyes would probably look at that and and say, well, that's exactly the way I've been trying to get them to play all season, and it is really. But they just didn't do it for him. Well, say, I got to take you up there on that because, okay, he says that's the way I've been trying to play all season. Well, yeah, you can do that if you're not playing Van Persie and if you leave Mata on the bench. And you're playing against uh, a side that that are imploding, right? But I mean, Moyes didn't do anything approaching that. He didn't play in that. He didn't play in that style. He didn't play with those. He didn't have Kagawa starting most of the time, right? I mean, he, he had he had he, he, Kagawa has started games. Cleverly has started games. Rooney and Welbeck have started games together. It's not Moyes picked what was it, fifty-one different teams in fifty-one games or something like that. And there were certainly lineups that were were broadly similar to that one. I, I don't think anybody would have said over the previous few months that Tom Cleverly was the missing link, um, uh, or even necessarily that dropping matter was was the way forward. I, I just think whoever he picked on Saturday. However, he'd lined them up; they were going to get a much stronger reaction because they have been under a cloud all season. Um, some of it of their own making, some of it undoubtedly of the manager's making, and they've. Um, and how many times have we seen it? You know, managers get sacked. Well, unpopular managers get sacked. Somebody else who, who they like comes in as a, a takeover, a takeover, a caretaker, and. Um, and suddenly it's as if they've been released and, and they start playing proper football and 
I think that's the biggest difference. I don't, I don't think anybody would say Giggs did exceptional things on the, te- on the training ground that made the difference. I think the mere fact that he was not David Moyes and the fact that he was Ryan Giggs, I think probably is, is a far bigger factor than anything. Hughie, I'm assuming at this stage there's nothing to learn here, nothing to see, because obviously he's not going to be the manager next season, right? Uh, he may be part of the coaching staff. Uh, there's only so much that, that, that he can ex- actually do. He's got a free pass, hasn't he, really? He's taken over at a time when the club are at the lowest point for 20 years. There's no pressure on him in terms of needing to get results for this season because the only thing that they can achieve is the league, which isn't particularly great reward in any way. And most of the games, uh, certainly knowledge at home, is, is, is very, very winnable. So he couldn't really lose. And we, we saw what we thought we'd see was a confidence reflected performance that reflected this renewed confidence and unity within uh, within, the, within, the, within the club which hasn't been there for, for a number of weeks probably months so Giggs didn't really have to do much to, to create that really it's, it's um, dead cat bounce the manager's gone so we have an uplift um, Looking ahead um, De Telechaf in, uh, in Holland comes out Saturday morning saying that um, Louis van Gaal has signed to be the next manager um, I read in the papers that the smart money's on him and um, but it hasn't actually signed yet. Ali, I want to ask about this because this is a club that hardly ever leaks much under Sir Alex. They were worried about leaks. They didn't like the way that the Moy stuff leaked out. The Telegraph obviously aren't making all this up, which suggests to me that either the fact that he signed was leaked by Van House Camp, in which case they're bringing in a leaky manager, or it was leaked by United, in which case whoever was doing the leaking before is still leaking. Um, which one is it? I don't think the um, the reports in the Telegraph would be from um, from Manchester United. I, I, I don't think they. So would they're be. from Van Hal or his camp. Yeah, people talk, don't they? But, you know. Yeah, but it, it, it could be it, it could be any one of a a number of people, and and you know. To actually say that he has signed. Well, I I I I don't believe that he has signed, but but. Remember, Rude Holley had told us that he had signed for Spurs. Yeah. No, I mean there are there are clearly people around Van Hal who, who who talk a lot, and but to be honest, there are a lot of people at Man United who who talk a lot at the moment. It's it's great for journalists. No, I'm not sure it's great for United. Anybody, I, I, I've had my reservations about Van Hal for many and regular listeners know why. Anybody want to make an argument that this is a really really good and clever appointment? Not sure it's particularly clever, but. If you look at the options, you can certainly make a case uh, for him being the best available options. You look look at United's sort of sh- shortlist, the names that have been mentioned. Most of them are uh, unavailable or unsuitable for various reasons. I mean, they're not going to get Pep or Jose. That's a non-starter. Probably not going to get Ancelotti. Simeone, he's done an amazing job. Atletico, but his football isn't isn't hasn't been great from what I've seen. Certainly, it wasn't good, very good last week. And um, his, his English, fan of English, isn't isn't great. Van Hal, he, he ticks most most of the boxes. He's an authority figure, which is what they what they need after sort of sort of leaky and unhappy dressing room we've had this season. The Moyes, he plays good football. He's 
got a track record of success wherever he's been. Stop saying that! Stop saying that, Hughes. You cannot say that. I can say that. Okay, you're all right. You want, you want to go there? You want to go? Each track record of success. Okay. He returns to okay. Barcelona. He, 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 okay, no, 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 no. no, 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 no right, the Champions League. All right, you went, no, 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 no. One game of winning the Champions League mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. Munich. Very, very and, good. You know, the, very the good. Flip side, he had a couple of quiet years at Barcelona, and he fell out of weekly in his last season at Bayern. Okay. Over a twenty-year career, that, that's not bad, is it? No, you said success wherever he's been. Okay. Yeah. He uh, went to Barcelona twice. Uh huh. Okay. Once he did very well. Second time he didn't. Okay, so he leaves, he, he's in charge of Holland. He fails to get Holland to the 2002 World Cup. You guys, yeah. you, you guys crucified McLaren, making him seem like he was the Wally with the Brawley for failing to get England to the Euros. He failed to get Holland to the 2002 World Cup. Um, and, and, and it was a very... time with the best points in, in Europe. So. Sorry? And he got them there this time in very impressive fashion. It's a World so. Cup. You ha- you, I mean, there's got to be something seriously wrong with you if you're unable to qualify, okay? Um, his return to Barcelona, they were nearly in the relegation zone when he was, when he was sacked. His first time around, he fell out with everybody. Uh, when he, his second season at, at Bayern was an absolute car crash. And there's one quote which, if I were united would just scare the heck out of me. Oh, sorry, let me throw in. His return to Ajax when he cried uh, upon his appointment and he read a poem, and then eight months later he resigned, citing personality differences after talking about how Ajax was his spiritual home and all this jazz. But there's one thing which gets me is when he talked about um, after, after leaving Bayern, he said, well, you know, I, we, we did very well the first year and then things became difficult. Um, it was perhaps a little bit difficult for me because there were there were some very big personalities who were very powerful at the club and had been there a long time, which is obviously a veiled reference to Uli Hoeneß and Romanega and all that stuff. Gee, I wonder if there's anybody like that at Old Trafford, a guy who's been there maybe for three decades and has a big personality and kind of is kind of in the background now. I mean, yeah, but the big the big difference between Ferguson. And the the, uh, the the Munich legend is that they, he doesn't have a public role. He doesn't appear on TV during a game criticizing the manager in in the way that you know Beckenbauer has done to Guardiola this season, and in the way that you know Ole Hernandez before he's in prison and and Sama they're always doing press conferences and they're very public figures. Ferguson hasn't said anything all season and wouldn't do if if Van Hal came. So I think that's a sort of false parallel, really. I don't think Holland are good, despite the fact that what Matt Hughes said about um, their record points total and all this stuff. I can, you know, I, I wipe my tuckus with that because it's World Cup qualifying, um, which is impossible to get wrong unless you're Van Halen 2001. There is a very real possibility that. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If he gets appointed before the World Cup, everybody and their mother, all your buddies in the English media, you'll go there. You'll put Van how the Holland manager, under a microscope, he goes to Brazil. He's in a group with Spain, who are, I think, a far better team. He's in a group with Chile, who I think are a far better team. And Australia, who maybe aren't that good, but can still give you a tough game. He's without Kevin Stroatman. He might have a patched-up Robin Van Persie. Um, imagine the pressure on him. Ooh, does he drop Van Persie? Does he play Van Persie? He'll manage Van Persie next year. If everything goes wrong and they get knocked out in the first round, it, does it then become uphill because the media will just start drawing conclusions about him? Or that players might start or players, yeah. conclusions, more, 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 importantly, more importantly. But um, no, I, mean, I, I think that just shows the, the, the folly of judging people on a World Cup. Uh, I, I think World Cups for, for players and for managers are, are not necessarily the, the, the great barometer of whether somebody's any good or not. Um, well, it's fool- we both agree it's foolish, but people do do that, right? Well, p- people even less intelligent than us might 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 do that. But it's um, no, I, I mean, when you talk about Van Hal and and the failures at, at Barcelona, you know, Barcelona second time round, the the sort of eccentricities of of Bayern Munich last time in in his second season. I mean, this is the kind of thing that happens when a when a volatile top class coach travels a lot. I mean. Ferguson, you know, if he'd gone around, if he'd managed in Spain, managed in Germany, would, would it have been as brilliant as it was for the entirety of his, his time at Manchester United? Well, probably not. He would have had ups and downs. And But I, I think the thing about Van Gaal is, is that he, it just seems to be, again, a bit of a personality-based appointment. And where we're seeing these days, we're seeing clubs do well out of setting out a real technical vision for what they're trying to achieve as a, as a club and you know go in a certain direction it just seems like the decision making process at United both last summer and this summer has been well we need a certain type of personality I just don't get the impression that at United there is currently any great sort of technical vision which which makes me think people should look up your uh, your piece Gab on, um, on the director of football idea yeah, it just seems to me so incredibly obvious. The only thing which makes me uncomfortable, and we know how the media works, right? Louis van Gaal has been doing, he's been on a, for those who don't know, he's basically been on a roadshow here in England for the last six, seven months, right? Um, he was uh, Mourinho's guest at, the, uh, at some sort of football writers thing that I obviously wasn't invited to because I'm not a football member of the Football Writers Association because they won't have me. He, uh, he's basically been very good about you know, going and talking to people. Everybody made sure that he knew that Tottenham had spoken to him. And people are kind of like discovering him. Well, I don't understand why the discovery process with him uh, has been, or understand why he should all of a sudden be the best option for Manchester United with all the negatives that come into it, with all of the fact that his brand of football, I think is actually quite different to the brand of football that Sir Alex played and which presumably Ryan Giggs or whoever you're grooming for the long-term future wants to bring in. All right, so the uh, Professional Footballers Association released their team of the year. For, for those who don't know, it's uh, 
these, these, this is basically uh, um, the, the players. They go, they fill out ballots, they vote on this. Apparently, they physically fill out ballot, ballots still. They don't actually do it by email. Um, and they have to get their votes in ridiculously early because of some stupid logistical thing that I don't understand. So as a result, sometimes you get some unusual outcomes. Um, I actually think the team of the year this season is is fairly, the one PFA came up with is fairly reasonable, but we're going to make our own team of the year here. And the way we'll do it, we're going to follow the tradition that we laid out last year. Uh, we're going to go by position, and if we're all in agreement, we move on because there's nothing to discuss. If we have fervent disagreements, then we disagree fervently. You've all made your teams of the year. Alison, I'll begin with you. Who's your goalkeeper? Larice. Uh, but that, you know. No, no, there's no reason to discuss Larice. Oh, okay. if, if they say Larice too, okay. then you're good. Okay. I suspect they won't. Husey. Gaia. Ollie. You could eat a cab, pizza check. Okay, well, I had Marshall. So <laughs> there you go. We're all. I'm, I'm glad you did. Why? My second choice. Is your second choice? Okay, mm. so. so Everybody, everybody else said Marshall is their second choice, so uh, Marshall it is. Maurice. <laughs> okay, fullbacks. Oh, and the PFA had Peter Check as well. But then again, those poor souls, like Ollie Kay, have to submit their votes back in December. Mm-hmm. You're right back, Husey. Zabaleta. Alison? Seamus. Young Seamus. What a season he's had. Irrefutable. That would be Seamus Coleman. Ollie? Uh, definitely Seamus Coleman. Yep, Seamus Coleman as well it is. I, I'm really the, the tiebreaker here. Um, so it is Seamus Coleman at right back, um, which is exactly who the PFA voted for as well. Very good. You're thinking like footballers. Central your central partnership. Let's do two together here. Ollie, you can begin. Cahill and the most astounding omission from the PFA award, John Terry. Ooh. Husey? I can't argue with that for, for a second. Allison? Uh, Cahill and Skirtle. Skirtle, hmm, interesting one. Um, all right, well, Cahill's obviously uh, unanimous. Um, I actually really think that Curtis Davis played really well every single time I've seen him, but I don't see enough of his team to, to be able to comment on it, and it might just be the brilliant tactics of his manager. So just thought it might be nice to recognize an older English gentleman, but no, let's recognize a different older English gentleman, Cahill and Terry. It is uh, left back, Allison. Uh as Piliqueta. Who's really a right back. But of Which makes it all back. the more amazing. Exactly. Husey. Oh, I've gone for Leighton Baines. Um, That's original. Well, no. No. Ollie? Not, not Luke Shaw. I've gone for Luke Shaw. And I'll go for Luke Shaw as well, as do the players. So Luke Shaw it is. Um, I thought we were going to debate these things. No, not if you're this wrong. Is just, this is just a list. I, I'm sorry, listeners. This is incredibly dull. Okay. If you, if you would prefer, would you want to make a case for Espiliqueta? <laughs> yeah, I don't... There, there, are, there, are, there are three obvious choices, I think. Espiliqueta, Luke Shaw, and uh, Leighton Baines for left-back. Mm-hmm. But they're all, they're, the all, they're, all very dif- they're all very different. And I don't see why it doesn't come into the factor that Espiliqueta has been a regular all season at Chelsea. He's played... Out of position, he, he's really a right fullback. Um, he's been often the only player that Mourinho has bothered to single out for praise. He's been incredibly consistent, apart from one game at Crystal Palace. Uh, he's kept Ashley Cole out of the team, and Ashley Cole, when he did come back in, showed that he's must have been really good in training because he, he came back into team and slotted in really well. That and the, the Chelsea defence has been what has been their thing this year. They've 
more or less defended exceptionally well. I don't, I don't, I don't. You know, that to me is is a compelling reason to have him in the team. For all, there are emotional reasons and factual reasons, and so I don't. Luke Shaw is all sort of always oh, promising. He's he's not really been that outstanding this season. It's just because we've surprised by him and by Southampton, isn't it? This is why young English talent finds it so hard because they have people like you, Alison, just pushing them down in favour of foreigners. And then you wonder uh, why England don't win the World Cup. I'm with Ali. I was kind of grappling for the, sounds harsh, for the anti-Luke Shaw candidate. And that's not just because I'm a kind of curmudgeonly Yorkshireman, um, although I am. (laughs) He's going to be a top, top player, but I don't think he will go to the World Cup, and I don't think he should go to the World Cup. I think Baines and Cole will go, and therefore it seems a bit perverse to pick the third best English left-back as the best left-back in the country. Exactly. No love for Luke Shaw, but, but he is in our team, by the way. Well, there you go. Um, well, but no, well, okay, why is he in the team? I mean, me, and Matt, me and Matt have just explained why he shouldn't be. Why? Well, I can give you my reasons for picking yeah, um, for picking Luke Let's Shaw. Let's discuss one player at least. Okay, over over Espiliqueta. Espiliqueta is not a left back, and when he plays for uh, for Chelsea in that position, he plays in a purely defensive way. In the modern game, fullbacks I think are called to attack. Uh, Chelsea's. Have you seen his Chelsea's throw-in? Fullbacks. Have you seen his throw-in? Yeah, that is very attacking. Exactly the Rory Delap argument. I, I I think he's a fine right back. He's an attacking right back. And, and I think when he plays left-back, he doesn't interpret the position in in the way it's interpreted in the modern way. Luke Shaw goes up and down. I, I like Callum Chambers. And can't defend well. that well. Yeah, you know, we're talking about a defender here. Right. You, you're choosing a defender on the basis of how well he attacks and not how well he defends. As because Pilequeta the, is solid, solid as a he's defender. Not, he's not, actually. He is, no, he's, he's not, actually. No, he's actually, no, actually, no, he no, he's really not. When he plays well, right-back, really no, and that's actually why he doesn't actually play right. No, he, that's <laughs> why he doesn't play right-back. Um, if he did, the logical thing would be to play Branislav Ivanovic in the middle, but Mourinho won't do that because he feels that when he plays right back, um, his natural attacking instinct is such that he, um, he he concedes defensively, whereas when he plays on the left, he doesn't have that problem because he's primarily a one-footed player. Whereas, so the next season he's going to play Torres at right back, is he? That's the, using his logic, that's the yeah, probably. Well, he is the, you know, he does offer a master class. Ollie, have they convinced you to change your vote? No. No. Okay, the majority wins. No, because it's 2-2. Two, two. What? It's 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, but we've got the PFA as well, and they say Luke oh, Shaw. okay. Yeah, fine. So there. All right, your two central midfielders, Ollie. Torre and, despite Sunday, Stephen Gerrard. Alison? Um, yeah, no, yeah, Gerrard and Yaya, absolutely. Yeah, no question. Okay, just not because with Yaya not getting the credit he deserves and being African, I thought you might want to choose somebody else. No, he's, he's a fantastic player. Husey? Yeah, I was toying with trying to put Ramsey in there, but you can't pick a man for four months. If he'd sustained it all season, then he'd been there, thereabouts, but Gerard and Torre. Yeah, it's, not, yeah it, it, it's, it's Gerard and Torre, the PFA agree. I, feel, I do feel kind of bad for, for Aaron Ramsey, though. I'm assuming everybody has Eden Hazard. Does anybody not have Eden Hazard? Well, it's a, it's it's a, it's a correct assumption in my case, but it, but but he wasn't um, he wasn't a shoe in by any means. There are a lot of very very good attacking players, and he, he's he was one of the last names on my team sheet. Was he? Would you do you, you had Lalana in there first? Because no, no, I had I had uh, Hazard ahead of Lalana. Well, and, inter- uh, interesting. I had I had David Silva. Okay, um, Alison. Well, I- it seems odd not to have David Silva, but I don't think he played enough. That's all. That's the only reason I would have. Um, I would get Hazard and Lalana. 
Hughesing? I have both Hazard and Alana and Aguero to um, complete yeah. the, the triangle. Well, we have Aguero with our strikers, so time to be to be patient well, for a minute there. I'm playing four four two because I'm not the PFA. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of brilliant that the, the, the ballot papers do go out with four defenders, four midfielders, yeah. uh, <laughs> two strikers. It's uh, yeah, sent it's, out it's, in 1988. Exactly. It looks like Hazard and Lalana. It is the again the PFA um, in their wisdom agree. Up front, Husey, Suarez and Aguero. You said. Yeah, uh, I mean you make a pretty strong case for storage and Aguero has obviously missed key periods through injury but when he's been fit and playing well he's been outstanding and ultimately if you're picking a dream team I'd rather have Sergio Aguero than Daniel Sturridge in it any day of the week Alison? Yeah, no, Suarez, it's a shame was saying this when he had his only poor game of the season really um, on Sunday but yeah, Suarez and uh, I'm going to go for a totally, totally emotional, sympathetic vote in Jay Rodriguez, bless him I'll go for Suarez and Sturridge. Aguero is a better player. I would rather Aguero was English and um, Sturridge was Argentinian, but I think Sturridge has had a brilliant, a brilliant season. And um, yeah, Suarez and Sturridge. Well, I'm gonna um, humbly go out and say Aguero. Um, Luis Suarez, of course, won the, wins the PFA Player of the Year. Not much surprise. I, Eden Hazard wins the Young Player of the Year. Now I know they do this by A's, but all they should you maybe like go and, and tell your friends at the PFA that it's kind of stupid to have this guy win the Young Player of the Year when he was, he was twice voted Player of the Year in France, the real one, three times Young Player of the Year in France. It, just because maybe they should have like Young Player of the Year be like sort of, you know, your first or second season or third season maybe as a regular rather than just doing it by age. Or am I completely yeah. wrong here? No, you're completely right. And There's it's, nothing it's, young about it, him apart from well, his age. No, exactly. And... and you know, he's 23, Sturridge is, is 24. That That is not young um, in, in football terms anymore, if indeed it ever was. I mean, people, people always think, oh, well, players peak when they're 27, 28, 29. Well, I think that's, I think that's a myth, really. I, th- I think um, a lot of players are at their best at, at that type of age. And it's, and it's, I mean, you look at a lot of the winners of recent years and they have been, um, you know, of, of the PFA main award and they've been, 22, 23, 24. So it's it's ludicrous that I think Gareth Bale won the Young Player of the Year last year, did he? Or have I got that wrong? He won all three at the same time, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. So he, he won the Young Player of the Year after having already won um, the PFA Main Player of the Year two years earlier. Is that right? Something like that. James Milner won it, the Young Player of the Year at 24 in, I think, was it his eighth? End of his eighth season as a pro. It's it's <laughs> it's it, it's ridiculous, and it should be an under twenty one award. Yeah, and and that way Luke Shaw could win it, even though Allison clearly hates him. I don't hate him, but then James <laughs> Ward Prowse would win it. James Ward Prowse, come on, Prowse, come on, come on. come on, come on. Time for some quick hits. Manchester City buoyed by the good news from Anfield rollover Palace with Yaya Torre scoring one and assisting on the other. Husey, Yaya has complained that being African means he's somewhat underappreciated. We haven't had your take on this. Well, it's barely worth commenting on because it's total nonsense. The most fated striker in the, in the Premier League the last 10 years also happens to be African, also happens to be Ivorian, Didier Drogba. Yaya um, Torre just needs to improve his PR. Ooh. Antolin Alcaraz has a nightmare as Everton are beaten at Southampton 2-0. Oh, 
Ollie, is this the day their run in fourth place ended? Probably. I mean, we look, we look at Arsenal's remaining fixtures and, and you would expect them to, to, well, maybe our listeners will know otherwise by the time they hear this, but um, I would expect them to beat Newcastle and, and I would expect them to, to pick up points after that and just about edge edge uh, Everton out. And it's um, it's a real shame from Everton's point of view because I, I think they're, the quality of their play and, and what they've done over the course of the season really deserves it. West Brom get a massive three points against West Ham. Uh, Allison, it's 15 points from 13 games for Uncle Pepe Mel, 20 from 22 for his predecessors, who everybody liked. Time for the best novelist among Premier League managers, no disrespect to Steve Bruce intended, to get some <laughs> credit here? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, for odd reasons, though. I mean, Pepe Mel came in and sort of looked perplexed almost from the first day tried English, gave up English. He's had, um, there's been spats. Morrison and Berahino came to blows. It's that's Pepe Mel's fault. No, but I mean, that's, uh, these are the things he's had to deal with. These are right. things he's had to deal with. And uh, there's been constant rumours that it's a short-term appointment and maybe the powers that we thought it might be a bit of a mistake. Uh, as you said, he took over from someone who was respected and no one could quite understand why he was given the boot so early. Uh, given all that, it did look like a team about to implode, but he's managed to get them playing better and they will escape relegation and given all those circumstances that that's the best he could have done well done Pepe Mel then John George LV scores one sets up another two and Swansea cruise to a 4-1 pounding of Villa Husey how far away is Shelby from the next level the one with the three lines on it and are Swansea officially safe I think he might get in a few squads but um, if it was me at home still quite far away he gives the ball away far too often and if he was playing at the top level he'd be sent off after half an hour in nearly every game because he gives away so many um, needless free kicks and, and he's too slow so to play central midfield um, at the top level you've got to be much smarter so he's not for me Sunderland stomp all over Cardiff 4-1 and Gus Poyet's army still believe um, of course it team with three Italians in it will we'll, we'll stay up and I won't mention Dosena. Um, Ollie, are they going to do it? And if it's at the expense of Cardiff, will you still blame that nice Mr. Tan? Uh, I think they are going to stay up. If you look at their final two home games, West Brom at home, Swansea at home, I think they'll win one of those. Um, and I think that will probably be enough because I don't see Norwich and Cardiff making up the, the deficit. And will I still blame Vincent Tan, almost entirely. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he made an idiotic decision. Well, he's made a series of idiotic decisions, but the one to get rid of Malky Mackay and, and, and to bring in a guy who um, has no experience of managing in the Premier League was 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 daft. I mean, Cardiff, first half of the season, first third of the season, before everything's started to unravel behind the scenes, were extremely good defensively, uh, even in the bigger matches against the better teams. And... The way they've leaked goals ever since is, you know, speaks of a, a team that is no longer organised, no longer tactically focused at all, and, and it's it's uh, it's unravelled as as everybody thought it would once he sacked Mackay. Uh, Fulham squandered two goal lead against Hull, a side that may as well be on holiday at this stage. Uh, Alison, you were there. How angry um, is Mister Magath likely to be, or is he all on his on his best behaviour? Well, Felix said he wasn't angry. He made that very clear. I mean, he's oh. he's. He's trying his best to, be nice. to apply every single approach. He's he has tightened up, you know, club rules. You'll have to be on time for meals and no mobile phones out and all that sort of hardline stuff. Uh, but I think he took them out for afternoon tea as well, and he gives them days off if they win. He's tried every. He's tried nice guy, tough guy, 
nice guy. He's tried them all, but he's just he's just baffled by it. He inherited a team with a dreadful defensive record, and they have not been able to improve it. All they had to do against Hull, they scored two fantastic goals in a three-minute spell, was then you know, lock it out and they just didn't seem to know how to do it and they've got two games left in which to make it work. She said, her voice cracking. And since you've developed a certain kind of fondness for... uh, They're round the corner. For the cottagers. They're round the corner from where I live and my son was there and he wouldn't speak to me. Oh, it gets very upsetting in our house. Okay, Gab, question for you. The marvellous Ajax uh, have won another Dutch title. Um, Frank de Boer doing the business this time around. So what's so special this time? Four four straight titles by by one manager, which is something that has only happened, I think, half a dozen times in a a major European league. And and de Boer's done it while basically losing his best players year after year and kind of continually rebuilding. Now, he's a pretty modest guy, and he's pointed out that, oh, but I'm at Ajax, I've got this wonderful support staff, I have a director of football, I have all these people providing input, I've got all these young players coming through, but I think it's still quite a feat. The flip side is Ajax still stinking up every time they go and play in Europe, um, and I'm increasingly wondering that maybe that's kind of a structural problem with, with the Dutch league because the football there is so different uh, compared to anywhere else. All right, that's all we've got time for today. But many, many, many thanks to my guests, Alison Rudd, Matt Hughes, and, of course, Ollie Kay. Quick reminder, every single week you can catch all the Premier League action via the Times app. Please download it now if you haven't done so already. Check out thetimes.co.uk for some excellent writing from uh, all of us here on the panel. And if you don't think it's excellent, want to disagree, reach out and tell us. We're all on Twitter. We all love feedback. Um, Ollie K and myself are especially addicted to responding to nearly everybody who tweets in our general direction, which is very unhealthy, I might add. But that's the kind of addicts we are. We're going to be right back uh, next week. Till then, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read? to subscribe on iTunes. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.